listeners and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast and I'm your host Natalie Freeman. Today we're so thrilled to welcome a group of incredible poets to read from a beautiful new collection that they have contributed to called Wayfinding and after that they'll be joining each other in conversation to talk more about their work. Before I introduce everyone, I wanted to remind you that Skylight Books is open for in-store shopping from 11 to 7 on weekdays and 10 to 8 on weekends. And we ask that you continue to be kind and respectful to our booksellers and your fellow shoppers when you visit us. We are also offering online ordering through our beautiful newly designed website, which you can find at www.skylightbooks.com. First off, I'd like to introduce you to Amy Beth and Derek Wright, the editors of the Wayfinding Collection. Amy Beth Wright is a journalist, essayist, and memoirist based in Brooklyn. She completed her MFA in writing at Sarah Lawrence College and teaches writing at Purchase College. She and Derek collaborate on features about public lands for a variety of outlets such as Fodor's Travel and Appalachian Mountain Club's Be Outdoors. And she also contributes to Artsy, Wine Enthusiast, and Catapult. Visit amybethwrites.com to read more of her work. Derek Wright is a NYC-based writer, designer, and photographer. With Amy Beth, he has written for a variety of publications, including Photos, American Wild, and Southwest, the magazine. Derek originated Parks and Points as a way to celebrate national park sites and public lands. He also works as a theatrical lighting designer and photographer and teaches design at New York University. Wayfinding is an anthology of poetry, essays, and photography celebrating national parks and public lands. The book includes 60 poems by 50 different poets, short essays by the editors, and a wealth of original color photography. Parks range from iconic national parks to local and community parks, considering the importance of public lands and why they are transformative places to visit and spend time. I'm going to be introducing each of our contributors individually before they read for us, and we're going to start with Mary Artery. Mary is originally from Bloomington, Indiana. Her work appears or is forthcoming in Missouri Review's Poem of the Week, Fairy Tale Review, Cincinnati Review's Micro Series, Prairie Schooner, Salt Hill, and elsewhere. She holds an MFA from Southern Illinois University Carbondale, where she won an Academy of American Poets Prize. You can visit her at maryartery.com. Thank you for being here, Mary. Hi, Natalie. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm going to read two poems today um, about different geographical areas. And the first is called The Blue Ghost Fireflies of Western North Carolina. The blue flickers in the mountain meadow caught us by surprise. Their dance held majesty as much as play, like fairies, intentional with their mischief. Oh, tactile pulse theirs, oh thrum of light, ours. Growing up, we called them lightning bugs. Their glow was slow and yellow and easily trapped. In Indiana, there were things I didn't even know to desire. The way a man's stubble burns lips differently at sea level than 5,000 feet up. The way some light, when captured, lasts only the night, but other light, burns brighter, other light will haunt. And the second poem is called Zebra Mussels at Lake Charlevoix. I turned inward as Indiana hills and cornfields transformed into a blur of Michigan cherry orchards and skinny pines. Nine hours with mom, dad, and two older sisters who preferred music to talking. At the cabin, cousin Sarah was eager to play. All day we hauled treasures from the fresh water, bucket after colorful bucket of zebra mussels. We pried them open with our small fingers to collect the oozing reward, the invasive species inedible meat 
Such viscosity was kept like a secret inside those striped shells known to slice souls if one day you forgot your water shoes. It was an early study of exterior versus interior, a casing that draws blood, but when cracked the right way, yields to something delicate. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Next up, we have Mike Good. Mike lives in Pittsburgh and serves as managing editor at Autumn House Press. Some of his recent poetry and book reviews can be found in or are forthcoming at December, Five Points, Full Stop, Plowshares, Salamander, Soft Blow, Waxwing, and elsewhere. His work has received support from the Sewanee Writers Conference and The Sun, and he holds an MFA from Hollins University. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for for, uh, for having me. Um, it's really good to be here. Uh, I'm going to read just uh, one poem. Um, it's a uh, so I I live in Pittsburgh, um, and the poem is set on a small conservation area that's uh, about nine miles from the point of Pittsburgh, where the Allegheny and uh, Monongahela intersect. Um, it's on the uh, Allegheny River. It's just this little fourteen-acre kind of I think little gem kind of tucked in between two pretty urban and uh, developed areas. Um, so it's a very special place to be, and I'll go ahead and uh, read this poem. It's called A Field Guide to Sycamore Island, Blonox, PA. Morels break into damp spring light past the three-trunked sycamore on the channel side where river traffic flows, past the great blue heron nest rising above the pebbled shore. Cool barges tear silty loam and leave river rocks for the Allegheny to hawk and swallow where turkey vultures sun their wings like black crosses on electric trees, where cedar wax wings trill inside the Indian cigar tree, scratched spice bush potpourri, orange impatience exploding. Do not live like the wolf spiders in the storage silo, dining on tadpoles, never knowing the dredge spoils that rise above the jet skis and fishing pools, never drinking the sumac tea that boils into red paint or holding the delta of green cottonwood leaves that twist and conspire, never rising with the Atlantis toward the canopy, sprouting neckbeards above girdled cambium as our island slowly deposits itself down the river. I could open my eyes and peel grapevines off soft wood. I could break down at any second. I could smell acrid water pouring from the discharge. I could see myself burning in the sky. I could have been an eagle. Thank you all. Thank you, Mike. And next up we have Allison Whipple. Allison is the author of Come Into the World Like That and We're Smaller Than We Think We Are and co-author of the interactive fiction Choice Texas. She serves on the board of Borderlands Texas Poetry Review and teaches technical communication at Austin Community College. Welcome Allison. Thank you, Natalie, uh, and uh, thanks to uh, Amy, Beth, and Derek for organizing this. I'm so happy to uh, be a part of this podcast. Uh, this poem um, takes place in Big Bend National Park. And I wrote it in the spring of 2016. Uh, so if you just wanna think back to some of the uh, rhetoric and things that were happening in politics at the time, um, it's part of where this came from. Photograph of you straddling two countries. The Rio Grande is shin deep, but the current almost pulls me to my knees as I try to take your picture. We're both wincing pebbles, stabbing the soles of our feet in the rushing water. You stand in your Walt Whitman hat, grin, ask, which side am I on? Beyond the frame, you'll 
step onto the Mexican riverbank, no fear of the border patrol helicopters that tore across the sky 10 minutes earlier. You stare at the sheer cliff of the Santa Elena Canyon rising from rocks behind your back. Say, any politician who thinks he can build a wall has never seen the border. Yesterday on the Boquillas Canyon Trail, we saw carved walking sticks, painted rocks, a handwritten price list in Spanish, a collection bowl, items for sale, but nobody to watch for theft, nobody to make change. An invisible artist slipping across boundaries, undeterred, the blades of the Airbus A-Star chopping through the desert. I wish I'd bought something, wish I'd let her know which side I was on. Thank you, Allison. And next up, we have Kristen Bryant Rajan, a PhD in English. She writes poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction, and literary criticism in Atlanta, Georgia. She is widely published in creative writing journals and anthologies, as well as academic journals. She is a Pushcart and Best of the Net nominee. Her criticism investigates Buddhism and meditative moments of deep, deep self in modernist literature. She teaches English at Kennesaw State University, facilitates happiness workshops for faculty, students, and community groups, and also teaches spin classes at the YMCA. Her daily meditation practice inspires her writing, research, teaching, and life. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much, Natalie. It's great to be here. So I have um, two poems, one that takes place at sunrise. So I that seems fitting to begin. Um, this has to do with the how the challenges of <clears throat> when nature is a little uncomfortable, the challenges are alleviated by just looking around um, at where you are and you are comforted by nature. Um, this is from a road trip where we were camping and it was a little uncomfortable at first. Road trip, Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore. After a long night, an empty stomach, relentless winds, sleeping on a stick, hidden from your touch by thick layers of sweaters, sleeping bags, hats, scarves, and mittens, I wake to light in Indiana. Birds and squirrels rustling through soggy leaves, atone for a tent that will not stand, a toilet that will not flush, the cold Midwest wind in early spring builds mountains of sand, but also blows away the burdens of this journey. I venture to the woods alone, crawling deep inside the morning darkness of this forest, climbing hills that grip my thighs and give me back my breath, then bumbling down steep slopes struggling to keep pace with rapid rhythm, skipping, flying, hoping more than breakfast to maintain always this momentum. Running with the cadence of bird songs, I find light and breath with the sunrise. And so this is my evening um, poem. It has to do with taking, <laughs> starting a, a pretty long hike at sunset which brings all sorts of um, unexpected gifts. Night hike. Three hours after sunset, we take the Buttermilk Falls Trail. The breeze is gentle for Ohio in October. The air heavy with sweet nostalgia of how quickly seasons cool. Descending deep into the woods, we marvel at the pantomime around us how shadows and trees animate at night. We approach a mound of darkness. You see a void, the anti-bonfire. I see a heap of buffalo, a sacrifice of sorts. We both see a massive arrow piercing through the textured shade. We find meaning in the dark shapes of the forest. As we step closer, our focus sharpens. A tree has fallen, pulling up dirt and roots with its descent. We peer beneath this majestic oath, oak, 
surrendered to wind and time, to see ripped earth, dark, cool, moist, the delicate sinewy strands of roots, white stars against the blackest sky of soil. We sit beneath the trunk in the cool uprooted space the tree has made in silence, in solemn darkness. This tree is protective still, even in its fall. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen. And finally, we have Pamela Hobart Carter. Pamela loves how close the Cascades are to Seattle. Summers, she hikes in them. Winters, she skis in them. She has always been interested in rocks and has two geology degrees from Indiana University and Bryn Mawr College. Her poetry chapbooks, her imaginary museum, and the forthcoming held together with tape and glue. Find more about Pamela at www.playwrightpam.wordpress.com. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much. And I want to um, thank uh, Skylight and Skylight Books um, and, and Parks and Points <laughs> um, for, for putting all of these together. I have one poem today. It's um, based on a hike that I've now taken several times to Red Pass, which is in the Alpine Lakes wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. And the trailhead is about an hour from Seattle, um, my home. And I, um, I love getting to know the Commonwealth Basin and, and this particular spot. Hiking to Red Pass, late summer, almost fall, it's like I found my childhood tucked under these cedars, and I am 10 and lazing on hot stone watching ants. For the first time in a long time, I feel safe. Now I know the old granite wall always waits for my remembering, somewhere at my physical center, available with you on this hike or even at my city desk as I scrounge for perfection click sites for research, recheck links and spelling as if these secure a famous future where you hear me and everyone gathers to listen to my wisdom. The past is contained in our dark insides, coded in chemicals which replace daily. Somehow they flow the known channels, the way sentences store a truth, even if unwritten, all day, anywhere, we may dive back to then. At the pass, we gaze north and south. We see into spaces where time is slow to round mountains. Thank you, Pamela. And now we're going to bring back in Amy, Beth, and Derek and to start up a wonderful conversation with all these lovely poets. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to all the poets for this amazing, uh, inspirational and... Uh, yes, because we anthologize these works, it always means so much to us to hear them read out loud. And we just are newly transformed and awakened by them. So we're, we're just really grateful to you all for sharing your work with us again. Um, and we thought it would be fun to, um, one thing that I thought of when we were thinking about our conversation today was how important it was when we visited the parks in Utah, Capitol Reef and Canyonlands, how the memories of the long period of geologic change transforms the rock formations there, the geologic structures. Um, always creeps into my writing later when I'm thinking about time and the idea of time changing, how my relationship to time changed once I learned about the movement of time in a geologic way. And we thought it would be fun to share some places that you find that keep reawakening or reappearing in your writing process, whether it's poetry or prose. Um, maybe we could share in the order that we read. Um, <laughs> Mary, would you want to start us off? And then maybe Derek can share at the end too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. I, um, I definitely think in return to about the Blue Ridge Mountains a lot because that's where I spent time working. Um, and I was in the Nanahala National Forest when I was right, um, when I, was writing about that first poem that I read about the blue ghost fireflies. Um, 
I think it's just fascinating how old the the Appalachian Mountains are. And I think about that a lot and how worn down they are and how they used to be taller. Um, yeah, I returned to the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> Mike? Uh, yeah, um, I would say probably I, this might be the, I don't know, something of a, a common answer or in some ways, but I, I guess, and to take a few steps back, I once, when when I was working on Sycamore Island, the poem that I read, um, I uh, I was working as stewardship coordinator for a, uh, for a local uh, land trust. And I got to go to different, like, you know, land trust conferences and that sort of thing. And I swear there was like a, a point where what were one of those panels and somebody asked, what's the place um, you return to most in your mind when you think of the outdoors? And the place for me is definitely just my parents' backyard, just a kind of small suburban backyard under a few pine trees, um, you know, poking, poking up some uh, rocks and seeing what was under it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think, the place that I return to uh, most. Um, and certainly, I think, just the landscape of uh, the Pittsburgh area, Western Pennsylvania, we have creeks, rolling hills, and those sorts of things. And um, I've, I've also spent some time in the Blue Ridge, too. So I think it's a lot of sort of like juxtapositions. Um, Yeah, we were amazed to learn that the Appalachian Appalachia kind of extends to Pennsylvania. So we you we have to where we are almost. Yeah, yeah, it's such a such a wide range of mountains. So um, next would be Allison. Yes. Uh, so um, the Santa Elena Canyon, which I referenced in the poem I read today, I have written at, at least half a dozen poems on that, and. Um, published three or four of them. Um, and when I went to that canyon, um, I'd been in Texas for a few years, but that was the first time I'd actually, that was the farthest west I'd ever been. That was my first time in a canyon. That was my first time literally at, um, at the border space and seeing that kind of, of geography. And it, it had a tremendous impact on me uh, the very second I saw it. Um, and I just, I keep coming back to that. Um, but I was also born and raised in Northeast Ohio. And though, even though I was born after the final Cuyahoga River fire, um, sort of the legacy of that and the fact that that ever happened has like this real hook in me. Um, I'm really just, I continue to be fascinated by it and I have not yet managed to write my Cuyahoga River poem, but I definitely keep trying. Kristen? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a very modest home in a very modest neighborhood, but within a half a mile was this huge expanse um, called Norfolk Botanical Garden. Uh, and it is so magical and there are so many nooks and crannies and um, ever, as soon as I could ride a bike, I would escape there and um, explore and I always found something new. And I went through, I, I would go there throughout my entire life um, as a child and then as a teenager, it helped me get through you know, the teenage stuff. Um, and even now when I go back and visit my mom, we go as a family and we play hide and seek, which if you haven't done as an adult, I highly recommend because it is so thrilling to hide in the woods knowing that somebody is looking for you um, it, when you know that they mean well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, whenever I meditate, I go back to that place and there was a little bench right by the lake where, um, where I would take my journal and I would write uh, throughout my whole life and I still go back there in my mind. So it's, it's a very peaceful, beautiful place. And uh, Norfolk Botanical Gardens is right next to Norfolk International Airport and they have a back entrance for people who have a long layover if they happen to. So if you're ever at Norfolk International Airport, which I'm not so sure why they call it International Airport because it doesn't really, uh, it goes to DC, which will take you out of the country. But um, go to the Botanical Gardens, I highly recommend it. Yeah. 
That's it. And Pam? There are a couple places that I mentioned in my poem that, that are very key locations for me. And it's interesting hearing Kristen talking about when she meditates that she goes to this place because um, as I was saying in my poem, I felt as I moved up to Red Pass, it's a long way, it's, a, it's five miles up to the pass. Um, I was, I actually was back in my childhood in Connecticut <laughs> um, at my grandparents' house on these granite stone walls and it was in the countryside. And, and so it was a realization that, that all of these places that matter to us, um, we can revisit when we wish because we're carrying them with us. And for me, that was um, just this lovely thing to know. And it is, especially right now, that house has actually just been sold that, that I went to almost every year of my life, um, uh, where the granite walls were, but I know they're always inside me. <laughs> um, and uh, in... It, in Seattle now, it's it's uh, it's hiking season, and I've been out to Commonwealth Basin a couple of times already, and I'm really excited to be back moving through it. And I often find I'm writing stuff in my head as I'm as I'm hiking. It just happens. The like lines show up. Mm -hmm. Did you want to share one? Um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, similar to Pamela, but um, I think it's more for me the idea of a place is um, actually like pine trees and places that have like pine trees. Growing up, didn't really have many uh, near me. Yeah, and so going to different places it, it, it triggers different memories of also just because you run into them and different memories pop up, like the pine trees of like Colorado in the West, but then the pine trees of, of Florida and remembering that with like the beach and swimming. And then remembering now, like the pine trees up, up uh, in New England, punctuates these sorts of yeah, this, this space, and it seems to have a nice continuity uh, within life. Um, two good segues came up uh, from Pam and from uh, well, from all of you, but I, I do wonder if in revisiting some of your memories from the past in your writing, if that changes your relationship to your memories, or if you find yourself gaining a different perspective or revisiting some of these natural places, um, if that changes your changes your perspective as well, revisiting them, as Pam was saying. Yeah, Mike? Yeah, I think that, um, I think especially in Western Pennsylvania, change itself is such a subject for me. We've had, you know, various levels of different degradation from the steel mills kind of uh, being phased out to now like natural gas extraction and just different building and things. So I feel like a lot of the act of writing is kind of inventorying those sort of changes that um, uh, happen in past and, you know, trying to, you know, bear some witness and find some significance in it. Um, yeah. in that recovery or lack thereof and those kind of gaps in between. Kristen? Yeah, I think sometimes writing um, it down is, um, well, I'm not Catholic, but it feels like kind of a confession. And um, in many cases for me, it enables me to release it a little more and not carry it with me once, once I pin it down with words. Oh, Allison and then Pam? my relationship to place oh yeah um i really feel like my relationship to especially a place i'm not in every day um every time i visit there are certain things that are the same and certain things that are different so um obviously it's been a very interesting time to live in texas right now and i have a lot of opinions about it but i know that anytime i'm in the big bend um I'm still going to feel an incredible sense of reverence and, and awe for that landscape. Um, and you know, some of the ways I still feel about living there, um, those are going to fluctuate, but there's something still very specific. And I think that's why um, I love to write about some of these places so much is because there is the change, but something is, something always stays the 
the same. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's true about many of the places we love most. There is something solidifying for me. Um, and, and I find that having written this particular poem about Red Pass, that I, I feel like it's a more special place to me that, um, and I was the last time that I visited really paying attention to just how jagged the mountains are that, that you can see from the past that you can't see easily until, I mean, until you arrive at that moment, you have no idea. And they're much more jagged than, than those that are right around um, one at the pass there. Um, so it, it is, it's that act of writing that, that um, I think has given me a sense of um, specificity about what I'm doing too and how I observe. <laughs> I don't know if that came out the way that I wanted to, but but that I think it it makes me look more closely wherever I happen to be. That's a great transition to yeah. our next question. But Mary, you um, take this one to the to the end. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to agree with um, some of what Pam and Allison said about observations and how things yes the places are changing when i go back to them but also i think when we're going back to places i know i am always changing a lot too and so what i'm observing and how that differs depending on what's going on in my life and what i've experienced um, over the past amount of time affects what i'm observing and, and what i write too fantastic yeah these are all really so we were going to ask a little bit about your writing process once when, when you have these moments of observation or like mike said inventorying or observing or um you know taking stock mm -hmm. so the question we had was um do you find yourself uh composing in the moment uh either mentally or actually writing uh when you're having these experiences in the national parks and outdoors or do the details of your experiences manifest on a subconscious level and make themselves known later uh, as you are writing elsewhere? Uh, maybe, um, Pam, would you want to? Oh, oh go Alan. ahead, Allison. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say for me, most of the time it, it comes out later. Um, most of the time, I need to sort of just like digest or compost the experience before it it becomes a poem. Um, but there are certainly rare moments when it just sort of um, comes out. Although one of the things that that tends for me to be when I'm in more of an urban space, um, when I was visited Prague or the first time I visited Mexico City, it was these compositions in my head that just sort of came out on the page. Um, but I really, with a lot of natural spaces, I, it, it really is sort of a process of, of digesting and integrating before I can put it on the page. Uh, Kristen? Same uh, with Allison. A lot of my ideas when I'm outside um, will come to me when it's not convenient to sit down and write. But this I find is one of the um, uses of the phone, the iPhone. <laughs> I have a list of a uh, first line. Sometimes a first line will come to me when I'm outside or when I'm about to fall asleep. Uh, so I'll just jot it down in the phone or just um, ideas for poems that I want to write later. And so I have a running list always. But I am very disciplined. Every morning I try to devote an hour to writing or revising just as a way to kind of start the day, even if nothing comes of it, and often nothing does. <laughs> but it's a good way to start the day. Pam? Um, there's so many connections I'd love to make to all these points people have been making. And um, I have to just say that, Allison, I really like composting <laughs> the idea of the ideas, spending some some time in there doing their disintegration or building or whatever, rearranging. Um, I just had the pleasure recently of hearing Jericho Brown talking about how much he uses his iPhone and he he collects lines and um, and you probably know about his duplexes, but he was 
describing that process of, of just plucking lines as he's moving around, I find that um, the writing for me tends to happen uh, at the desk. Um, I, I practice timed writing with some friends. So that's something I do regularly. Um, and I also do warning writing. Um, but as I'm moving through a landscape, I do find myself making up lines. And um, recently I wrote a play that takes place in, in the Commonwealth Basin, my, <laughs> my go-to hiking area. And, um, and I had the whole dialogue going. Like, as I'm hiking, I was, the, the dialogue was just there. And the next morning at my morning writing time plop, it went on the paper. <laughs> Anyone else want to chime in? Okay, so the other question, you know, sort of taking that question and expanding it a little bit is, you know, overall, how are nature and writing connected for you? You know, does one inform the other on a regular basis? Um, you know, is it a habit to find yourself um, kind of pairing the natural world in your writing or in your day to day, you know, activities in the natural world in the writing process? Um, Kristen, yeah, start us off. This is not fleshed out, but I am intrigued with wind and how everything can be completely still. And then all of a sudden there's movement and rustling and sound. Um, and I think of writing as a way, uh, I, like the wind, it draws your attention to what was there all the time, but, um, you didn't notice it before until the wind came through. So I think that's my parallel there. Mary? I almost always start my, start my poems, my drafts by just writing a few sentences of observing the natural world, whether that's while I'm out somewhere intentionally there to go write a poem in nature, or if I'm just sitting at my desk looking out the window because I feel like whatever I write about the, the external landscape always informs me about my internal space at the moment. And I end up usually having some sort of realization whether those beginning sentences make it into the, to the final poem or not. Um, Mike or Allison or Pam? Yeah, um, you know, I think, so much about my writing practice is about like slowing down and paying attention um, and being receptive. Um, so I, I love to write haiku. Um, I write hi, I'm, I've been working in haiku more than any other form um, the past few years. Um, but you can't chase a haiku. Uh, you can't chase after it. Um, sort of have to just observe and pay attention and see what rises up. Uh, but really, especially with uh, nature-oriented material, um, for me, it is about just learning to look, learning to, to notice, to say, I've walked down this street a hundred times and I've never noticed this flower before. Well, now I'm going to go and find out what this flower is. Um, and, and yeah, just being open to what's around you. Um. Yeah, I think for me, I think similar to something that uh, Pam said earlier, kind of just walking, I think the kinetic experience of just sort of inventorying and banking observations and um, images. Uh, the particular poem I read and I'm so happy to have included in uh, the Wayfinding Anthology, um, you know, it, it, it was a place that I felt was like, Sometimes you go to places so often, I think that they can maybe feel like you can't quite get it right, or maybe it feels too special and you don't really want to like try it. And then that resistance, I think, can also be, I guess, productive. Um, and so I guess my process of writing that poem was the, the first, the first draft kind of came out in like one go, but I was revising it for about <laughs> four years, I think, before it found the form that, um, um it, it wound up in that I was uh happy with um trying to get the you know syntax to really evoke and um the wonder of the place that I, I was aiming to um 
in in the contradictions within the place that I was trying to um, uh, contain within the poem. Um, I think Jack Gilbert has a line that's something like, "How astonishing language means," or but does not quite. And I think that that's like so that that that's especially prevalent in trying to write about nature and place. You can say sycamore leaf, but you can't quite. The word doesn't quite mean what what the thing is, if if that makes sense, you know. And exploring those sort of uh, gaps and trying to either be as true to them as possible, or even kind of distort them to get at a sort of greater truth. So I think those are all sort of parts of my uh, process in terms of thinking about how uh, nature and um, how it affects my writing. I feel like we've um, the this feeling of embodiment like um, seems to be emerging a little bit in the memory and the body sort of remembering like holding on to things or observing and and then them awakening later in the writing process and I'm I'm wondering if you've had surprises when you've been drafting or writing like things that you remembered or that were maybe from the very far past or the, the very distant past if things have re resurfaced that have surprised you that you were not anticipating. Um, being linked to a place you spent time or even started to revisit in your writing? I'm not sure it's happened in, in, in the writing itself about the place. I often find things out as I write though. Um, so I may learn what it is that I wanted to to say actually in the process of moving my hand on the paper. Um, I have had the experience a couple of times though of the moving through space, bringing back a memory. If I'm visiting somewhere um, that I haven't been in some time and walking a route that I used to uh, quite commonly, suddenly I'll realize like, oh, that's what that place is. <laughs> and I didn't even remember that it was going to be on this way. Um, and, and some particular episode comes back. Um, I know I, I went on a tangent there. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to um, kind of add another dimension to this conversation uh, in that writing. Um, Poetry in particular, I think, slows me down in a way, like paying attention to a line break will draw my attention to um, an element of the landscape that maybe um, makes me see it differently. And when I'm reading poetry uh, or listening to poetry, it just slows me down in a way that makes me more observant. Um, that's it. Mm -hmm. Allison? Yeah, um, weirdly that also doesn't really uh, happen to me in my writing as much, although that weirdly happens to me while I'm driving, specifically like a long uh, country road or highway drive. Um, something about driving that's where all of uh, a lot of really interesting stuff comes up and actually I figure out a lot of writing problems on long drives <laughs> <laughs> totally the composting <laughs> um I I also am wondering about something Mike had said before in terms of uh Sycamore, the Sycamore Island poem taking four to five years to really feel complete if you've had similar experiences or if you've had the opposite experience where you feel an immediacy in the structure or the language of your poetry. Or a certain immediate clarity or in terms of the writing process. Yeah, I think that um, in the past, I, I was a much more of a reviser. I would have to really pull poems through so many different drafts, put them in, put it into a sonnet, take it out of a sonnet, you know, whatever sort of methods were available to defamiliarize and strangeify and come back to um, the text. I think over time, as I've kind of grown more into my writing practice, I think that sometimes it, it just it needs to sit a while. Um, 
the kernel is often there though and yeah kind of learning to see see where that is and kind of yeah i guess find find the shape within the structure um so i think that over time i've kind of come through less like i need to work on a poem for four or five years but i think that yeah the, the process itself is just kind of like uh gotten a little bit a little bit quicker to like finding like okay this needs to not be in you know in couplets it needs to be in a certain meter it needs to do something a little bit different and it seems like more slight more slight not uh pushes bring it closer quicker than than what it once did at least for that sycamore island poem in mm. uh particular mm. yeah go ahead allison um yeah i i've never been a uh spend years on a poem person um and, and that doesn't mean that i won't go you know back go back and revise thing you know um i have my i'm sending out my third chapbook manuscript and you know there are poems i would occasionally come back to over time and maybe adjust a little um but i've never been like if it if it's not working in like two years it's it's gotta go um i think one of the things that's been most valuable to me as a writer is learning to tell when a poem has energy because if it has a certain energy to it a certain like aliveness and that's something you have to figure out for yourself I think um it might take time you might need to simmer on it for a while I definitely have a couple of projects that I've been simmering on for a while um but if it doesn't have any energy like no amount of revising is going to make it work have others had a similar experience? Oh. Say, I I have a love-hate relationship with revision. Um, I, I the, the hate isn't it's an actual hatred, it's more like um, ignorance. Um, I like I like the the revisiting and trying to figure out how to make the poem. I have that kind of energy that Allison's describing. Um, and that I, but I don't always know whether it does have it or not and and can spend a long time futzing around with something before it becomes um, the sort of uh, part of the garbage heap. But um, uh, <laughs> also learned from Jericho Brown very recently is that when we write those poems that we don't like, um, there's probably a line in there that's good and and he just plucks them out and so he'll if he makes 10 poems he doesn't like then he figures he has 10 good lines so that's one to keep in mind too <laughs> Mary how has time played a role in your process I, I definitely revise a lot but occasionally I do get those poems that come just fully formed and I can't remember if it was it was in something I read by May Sarton. I can't remember if she said it or if she was quoting someone else, but she said, prose is earned and poetry is given. And that has always stuck with me because I feel like my best poems feel like they've been given from somewhere. And the best ones, that rare flash, it happens maybe twice a year where I'll sit down and I'll write one and I'm like, okay, that's the poem. Maybe change a couple words, but that's the poem. Is that something you can manifest or is that really just unbidden? I think it is unbidden, but I do think if you if you've been showing up doing the work, putting in the good writing karma, it's more likely to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right. We have sort of a uh, because we also focus on, you know, at Parks and Points, we we love travel. We travel all the time. We write a lot about travel. So we wanted to ask you a little bit about your travel yeah. future. So yeah, I think uh, looking ahead, um, how do you see your uh, writing in uh, nature and national parks and maybe state parks travel intersecting um, in the future? In the future? Um, and what, what are some of the ways you'd like to um, to try or any sort of aspirational trips that may tie into your writing? Yes, Mary. <laughs> So this is very much a dream. I have no immediate plans to do this, but I have a goal to someday get a grant to through hike the AT and write a book of poems about it. Um, so that's that's my dream. Great. 
just jump in there. Yeah. Pam? Um, oh, yeah, and I was doing the sign for beautiful because I thought what Mary said just then was really beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. that, that idea is lovely. I have gone to the Grand Canyon for the last, um, let's see, five times in the last six years, and I will be going um, in uh, October again. And I've written a couple of Grand Canyon poems, but I haven't written the Grand Canyon poem that I want to write. And um, so that's on my mind. And, um, and it's such, the vastness there is, is such capital letter vastness that um, it, it does often feel like it's really hard to contain in something really pithy. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Kristen, maybe, and then Allison. Well, just generally, I think that nature really helped a lot of us get through the last year and a half. And um, I, I think it fueled an appreciation for the healing properties of nature. I hope to always um, continue to explore the parks and, and, I, and I feel incomplete if I haven't um, surrounded myself with nature. It's like a vitamin each day I, I need a little bit. Um, but yeah, I hope now that we're opening up to explore a lot more um, parks. I, I love Mary's idea. If she needs um, a Sherpa, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> we could make it a Parks and Points endeavor. It's <laughs> a really great idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next, well, <laughs> Allison, and then maybe Mike. Yeah, um, I'm actually working on, I have just a lot of prose pin process um, right now. That's an alliteration, if there ever was one. Um, and one, um, one isn't about um, wilderness so much, but it is about uh, gardening, which I think became important to a lot of us uh, in the pandemic. But um, I also, um, before that had worked on cultivating a pollinator garden um, because I really wanted to help the bees. So um, right now, a lot of my creative attention is focused on that. And in terms of travel, you know, I don't know, I'm going to be on a road trip in July and spending a lot of time uh, in the Midwest um, with my partner's family and a little bit in Northeast Ohio. And I guess I'll just see what happens. Excellent. Mike, did you have an aspirational trip in your on your horizons? Yes, uh, most definitely. And I don't know if other people have this ex experience when you're when you're writing, though, too. Like when I wrote the Sycamore Island poem, I was um, uh, in Minneapolis or I was in Virginia. I feel like I write about places I'm far from the further away I am from them sometimes. But um, this summer I will be uh, getting to take a little trip uh, uh into the Blue Ridge Mountains, which I haven't seen for quite a while. And also, I think I'm going to get to do a little hike in the Great Smokies, um, which has always been a kind of place that's been very, very alive in my imagination, but I haven't been to. So I don't know. I'll kind of be composting, um, I think, some uh, Pittsburgh images as I, as I drive down there. And maybe maybe we'll get another Pittsburgh poem and maybe instead, or maybe I'll, I'll get lucky and get to write a really nice uh, Great Smoky Mountain Blue Ridge type poem, too. I don't know. Um, but definitely excited for uh, that travel and yeah, just to, just to get to see some new spots and uh, be in an unfamiliar place, which has not happened very often within the last 15 months. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Um, I guess for the group, what would you give as advice to other poets when thinking about writing about national parks and public lands and natural spaces? What kind of advice? I think one of the hardest things in writing about really anything, especially if you're passionate about it, and maybe this is just my approach to poetry, but is like kind of like wanting to editorialize it too much in, in the sense of like, oh, I saw this beautiful place and you want to write, I, I, I saw a beautiful place, but it, that often, that sentiment is hard to, I think, get through to come across across a page uh, to a reader. And so kind of finding ways to focus on, you know, the, the old 
is it an Ezra Pound? No idea, but in things, one of those, one of those poets of, of older times said that. But I think that that's the, that's, that's the advice I would give, I guess, is to kind of try to step back and, you know, try, try to observe and let your, let your imagery itself connote the, the, the emotional experience, the inner emotional uh, landscape. And I think that when, when you do that, it might not even be like, oh, it, I thought I was writing about a beautiful place, but the place has suddenly become a little bit like a little bit ugly, a little bit marred, a little bit less perfect than I thought. But I think that that complexity is also what does most places, um, uh, if, if, they're, if they're to be accurate, um, does them the justice they need, I think. Mary? I was going to say, I have another quote I can't properly attribute, but I heard Bruce Snyder say it. And he gave advice about poems of place being less about what we see and more about investigating the things that we can't see, um, which I think is helpful in terms of thinking about, um, especially in our country, you know, whether the land was indigenous people's land before it is what it is today or climate change, what um, can't we see because of climate change? How has the land changed? Things like that. Oh, yeah. Allison? <laughs> I, uh, I would encourage everyone to go find a copy of Second Nature by Jack Collum and just read his introduction. Um, it's a hybrid work. It's definitely kind of weird. You have to be uh, willing to um, read some really genre bending stuff, which not everyone is. Um, but there's a, a great section in the introduction where he talks about um, some of the just really cliched tropes about, about nature writing, about um, like being the, the human and gazing on, on high and like looking down on, on creation and, and philosophizing or moralizing um, or nature as being uh, cute or nature as being like inherently evil. Um, I just I think everyone needs to go and just read the introduction to Second Nature. Um, it was a it was a huge game changer in my approach. Uh, Kristen and then Pam. Okay, I've written that book title down in my notes. Um, cell phones are useful for some things, but they can distract us, which brings me to my tip. I think. Um, a lot of the components of writing uh, uh, revolving around nature and the components of positive psychology go hand in hand. And it's just being present and kind of breathing into where you are and opening your awareness to what's around you. And um, I think that naturally leads to gratitude and all of those um, elements are also the components of happiness and well-being. Mine's not dissimilar, but I think I would just say, see what happens, have the experience. Um, and um, that it needn't be on your mind to be making the thing. Um, in the way that Mary was describing those poems that show up, I, I think um, much often operates that way when we, allow ourselves to um, to be entirely in our present time. Very good advice, all of you, I would yes, say. Um, we actually had one last question, which is maybe a little different, but I guess I was wondering, you know, we've had a few months of working on this book project together. We've gathered for a couple of virtual readings and gotten to know each other. and. Um, share work in this way and, and with the Parks and Points readership. And I guess I'm wondering as a poet, how being part of an anthology sort of um, informs your own writing process. You know how that, you know, if you find yourself retaining the, the words people say about their work or even the work them itself, or if you feel you find yourself thinking about, or how, you know, the importance of reading one another's work or peers work on a regular basis, how that changes your approach to your own writing or, or your feelings of being a poet. Yeah, Pam. Uh, I've enjoyed this 
experience so much. I think you two are just lovely editors and you've created this tone um, that's very welcoming and investigative um, that I have so enjoyed and meeting all these other poets. I um, have looked up people's other work and have been reading their poems on the side. Um, that's definitely happened. So for me, it's been just this delightful thing start to finish and has um, educated me on uh, many other terrific poets. Allison? The, an anthology for me is always such a good, um, it's a good like boost and, and bit of motivation, especially if I'm just sort of like, I've gotten a string of, of rejections that didn't feel great or I'm being isolated because I can't go to readings and I can go and look at the anthologies and be like, wow, like I'm in some great company. Like look at all these cool people that, you know, cool, and cool poems that my poem gets to hang out with. Um, it's just like a little, it's like a little bit of community that's really enduring in its own way. I would just add to that, um, whereas writing is kind of solitary, very solitary, this feels um, not only communal, but also familial. And it's been such a, a warm, um, process. Uh, Amy, Beth, and Derek have been so lovely. And I think that warmth um, emanates from the uh, anthology as well. And it, and I've, I've read, I've so enjoyed hearing the poems from others and, and reading them on my own. And it is, if you can't go to a national park, um, reading the poems um, puts you in nature. And, and itself is a healing uh, process. So I'm just so grateful to be a part of this experience and this anthology. Uh, Mary? When I was in my MFA and starting to investigate the world of publication and how to go about it, uh, my professor, John Tribble, um, who was a wonderful editor among many other things, um, he said, look for good company when you're trying to get published somewhere. And I think about that a lot, not just in terms of the quality of the poems, but the quality of the people. You wanna be published with, with good humans. Um, and I really I really um, appreciate this, this project of wayfinding and Parks and Points overall. Mike? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would just be probably echoing some of the wonderful things that um, everybody else has said. Um, I think that as a poet, as a writer, I thrive and I'm always hungry for, you know, community. And I think that being a part of an anthology like this is, uh, yeah, certainly a nice e expansion uh, of, my, of my writing community. It's been a real honor to be a, a part of this process and to yeah visit a lot of places in my imagination as I've you know not only got to hear poems um, as we've read together but as as uh, the the project for a year has gone up um, it's uh, on on the website itself um, yeah it's been a fabulous point of pride great point of um, finding one's community and expanding it too so that's all very special and uh, very meaningful to me. I think that's a really nice end note. Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we really feel that uh, that community around wayfinding and around the annual poetry series and the website and um, um, and in parks. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, that parks are places where I think we find connection and we can also feel solitary and you know have both of those things coexist at the same time. Yeah, it's a thread that moves through all those experiences and then yeah to then read about it later is a, a whole other way of holding on to those those memories or being transported to a place that you've never been. So thanks to all of you for being here today to reflect on your writing and your memories and your your relationships with place. And thank you so much to Amy Beth and Derek for editing and collecting Wayfinding so that we all can hold it in our hands and revisit it in hopefully a lot of different places. 
um, and celebrate those places as well. Thank you again to Mary Artery, Mike Good, Allison Whipple, Kristen Bryant, Rayshawn, and Pamela Hobart Carter for sharing your work with us today. You can order your very own copy of Wayfinding at www.skylightbooks.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.